You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. And tonight we're talking about... Uh, coming to get you, Brian. Paul, I am in the middle of the show intro. You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. And tonight... Are you scared? I'm just trying to do the open. We've done this a million times. There's one now. There's where one... Now that he's dead, you're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're discussing George A. Romero's 1968 horror classic, Night of the Living Dead. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. The middle children of history, man. No purpose, no place. We have no great war. No great depression. Get you, Barbara. We're on a mission from God. Welcome to the party, pal. What's the smile on my face? All right, sweethearts, you heard the man. Pull him out. Come on, let's have him. I will show you where I have made my home while preparing to bring justice. Then I will break you. How great war is a spiritual war? How great depression is our lives? Welcome to the podcast. I am Brian Elkins. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. What's up? We're talking zombie classic here. Like the first modern zombie movie. It brings a whole new. It brought a whole new element to horror. Yeah, it created a whole new genre, man. It's a zombie classic. This is the first movie. There are other movies that came out before that were zombie films. This is not the first movie to. You know what? They don't even call them zombies in the movie. But this is what we think of when you think of the Walking Dead. The Walking Dead would not exist without Night of the Living Dead, uh, World War nope. Z. Any of any of the zombie. What we think of zombies today, you're thinking thinking of this film. The big American zombie film and everything else, and I think it cost around, you know, what was it like, one hundred and seventeen thousand to make. I've seen mostly one hundred and fourteen thousand is what I've what I've seen mostly, but you know, it's it's hard to really nail that number down. So it it made it it made a substantial amount of money back off the film. If I'm not mistaken, uh, you and I were talking about this before. Um, about the uh, drive-in numbers that that Night of the Living Dead had. Yeah, it, it was it was a drive-in movie for sure. I mean, I guess it was the last really big drive-in film. You know, they got popular because of the drive-in. You know, if drive-ins hadn't existed, would Night of the Living yeah. Dead gone on and found its audience? I mean, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm I guess sooner or later, would a huge like whole other subgenre of horror emerged? I don't know. I don't think so. The drive-in man was still in 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 '68 and even the I guess the early '70s. The drive-ins, you know, were really popular. I've always thought the drive-ins were really cool myself. Uh, you know, they're okay. That's really a drive-in's really not how I prefer to watch a movie. To be to be honest with you, um, I enjoy it. I think it's got a special a special place. You know, in cinema, I like to go see movies I've already seen. You know, at a drive-in. Yeah. Uh, and get to experience it in that environment. That's not how I like to see a movie for the first time, though. Not to be snooty and be like, I need, I, a, I need a theater in an auditorium, but 
yeah, I'm, I'm kind of snooty and I need a theater and an auditorium. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely feel you on that. I mean, I, I would agree with you, but it's something to me, I guess, I guess the drive in, you know, there, there's something a little nostalgic about it. And I guess that's kind of what I like about it. Yeah. I mean, it's great to go see you, a, a horror movie in a drive in. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd go see like, like, you know, a new movie or, or anything like that, you know? Uh, yeah. Awesome. I mean, that's, that's one thing I really like about our drive in. Uh, we have one here in Memphis. They show newer movies most of the time and you get two films for, you know, for one ticket. So that's cool. But they'll also show, they'll do these like all night marathons from dusk till dawn of older mm-hmm. films and they'll put them in these blocks that are kind of crazy, you know, like Kung Fu Madness or I don't know, whatever, take your genre or a specific director or something or a theme and they'll play movies yeah. lined up like that. And that's a lot of fun. But um, we're talking about uh, Night of the Living Dead and that, that you know that drive-in boom that the movie got um, and the success it had. They had a lot of success, but they messed up a lot on the copyright. And oh yeah, George Romero didn't make a lot of money off this movie. In fact, I don't I don't think he made too much at all. Uh, he didn't see that huge payday. I mean, one one could say he got kind of got screwed on the rights to the movie. Uh, no, he 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 totally got screwed on the rights. Uh, the whole thing is it's a title change. The original movie was like Night of the Flesh Eaters, I think, and that's what yeah. they were going with. And at the last minute, they changed the title, and the distributor didn't put the title change in to, to the copyright. And the film immediately hit public domain, pretty much like right when it came out. Mm-hmm. You go around and get the investors and and work on the film and, and put your work into it and everything else and. Of course, this is this is Romero's first actual film. He did, you know, do like movies when he was, you know, really young and everything else. And he also uh, he had a worked commercial on, company, man. He, he made commercials forever. And he also did a uh, <laughs> did a uh, episode of Mister Rogers. Right before uh, Night of the Living Dead. Mr. Yeah, yeah, there was an episode of Mister Rogers where he had to have. Um, his tonsils removed or something like that. And George Romero actually directed and Fred Rogers apparently gave him final cut on the episode. George Romero, Night of the Living Dead fame or Mr. Rogers fame? I'll let you guys be the judge of that. That's just insane. You know, especially with Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. (laughs) Well, if you go zombie movies. Well, yeah, you look at the zombie movies, but dude, he came from, he came from corporate commercial background. I mean, some of this stuff had, like, yeah. some creative messaging in it, but, I mean, there are commercials from, like, the 60s. Like, you can actually watch them. If you get the Elite Entertainment uh, DVD of this, I think it's from a Laserdisc. If you get that, you can actually go back, and, and on the special features, they, he's, they have some of the awesome commercials that the, he's done. Yeah, George Romero and John uh, Russo, they both came from commercial backgrounds, and did enough from that to have knowledge on how to make a film. And they were shooting on film at these commercials. So they were doing this day in and day out. And then they were like, Hey, we want to make a movie. They uh, only had $6,000 between them pretty much shot, what they needed or what they thought they could use to get investors to get involved into the movie. It was said by George Romero himself that, uh, the average investor only gave anywhere between three and five thousand dollars a piece. Of course, that was also in nineteen sixty, probably nineteen sixty-seven at the point in time. 
if you have a budget of anywhere from 114 to 117 thousand dollars you need a lot of investors to get that amount of money one hundred seventeen thousand dollars with inflation i mean like if you look at what one hundred seventeen thousand dollars would be like in today's money you know night of the living dead would have been an expensive ass movie no i don't think it would have been expensive um just because they were shooting in 68 they did have film expenses you could make this film right now yeah you know with a digital camera for prob- probably not that much more than they did in 68, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, yeah you may have to spend like maybe yeah. another $100,000. They're really smart with, with what they shot. And, you know, I mean, even the zombie scenes outside, there's a reason that they I feel like they almost even repeat a couple of the shots of the zombies that are, you know, outside. Yeah, I feel like they do too, man. And apparently this movie was also shot on a... Uh... Which a lot apparently also a lot of people believe this movie was shot on a sixteen millimeter, but apparently it was shot on a thirty-five millimeter plus X. Yeah, but they dumped a lot of stuff down to sixteen, so that's where that that comes from. That rumor, that legend there that was like, oh, it's shot on sixteen, but no, you're right, it was shot on thirty-five, which is a big deal. I mean, I mean, who would not get excited about that? You know, it's like the the big format of your art field. And you get to play with it. And I mean, I will say, man, you know, George Romero, he really did do a phenomenal job directing this movie. I'm kind of torn with it because I would almost like to see a colorized version. Well, you can. But at the same time, yeah, I know that I haven't seen it yet, but I know there is a colored version of it. Yeah, the other writer, that uh, John Russo that we were talking about earlier, he did a 30th anniversary DVD, I think. I think it was a 30th anniversary. He did a 30th anniversary version. He colorized it. I think he had some new music in it. I, I've never seen it either, but, I man, it gets ripped apart all the time. When you, br- when you bring it up to anybody that has seen it, they're always like, oh, my gosh, please, don't, don't mention that. You know, so I always stayed away from it just because how everybody reacted to it. My version of this movie that I like to watch is, you know, the Elite Entertainment Millennium Edition. The picture looks great. I think it's the best-looking DVD you can buy, uh, and it's got a bunch of extras on it. It's got a great commentary by Romero um, and just a bunch of people. It's got some by the actors. It's got a great interview um, with Duncan Jones, uh, who plays Ben in the movie. Did you just call Dwayne Jones Duncan Jones? Did I call him Duncan Jones? He is Dwayne Jones, isn't he? Yes, you are. I'm sorry. Yes. I, I, I was just watching Warcraft. I think that dude's Duncan Jones. Got the direct guy that directed that in Moon. <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie's son. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I just got done watching that not too long ago. But real quick side note, though, before we go back onto George Romero, I did want to say George Romero has got a 4K master that he's actually showing in one theater and some museum, uh, but they did a nice rest- 4K restoration of it. It's supposed to be pretty amazing, and I think they were able to copyright this version. And who knows, we may get this on Blu-ray or, you know, hey, maybe even UHD. I don't know. That would be awesome. There have been so many so many different versions of this movie released on different formats. and I mean, hell, even PBS, they show it every year. Like They've shown it every year since I can remember on Halloween. You know, I've never seen this on PBS. We we don't we didn't even do our normal thing. Like, when was the first time you saw this, man? Was oh, it on PBS? Man. Yes. Yeah, I remember watching it on Halloween when I was nine, ten. 
I was probably a little so, bit older. I think I was because you know I didn't get into zombie movies until later because those are the ones that were always like of the horror films. Those are always can usually usually outside of slashers. Those were the, considered the grossest of the horror movies. So I didn't yeah. really get into zombie movies until I was well into a teenager. But I do remember um, my uncle Rick showed me this the claustrophobic feel and just the seeing the zombies on screen. Man, it, it really got under my skin. It really just it freaked me out. I don't know, dude. There's there's just something about um zombies and I remember this and and you remember that uh, invasion of the body snatchers that Don Siegel did? The old fifties one? Yeah. You know, like something yeah, about that like losing your identity and, and you get enveloped in this mindless swarm. But zombies are even worse than the pod people from Invasion of the Body Snatchers because in, uh, in order to get them, oh, yeah, you know, like the pod people, you just fall asleep. No big deal. You know, like that, yeah. that's not the end of the world. That's just kind of like normally dying. But a zombie, yeah. you get eaten no. alive. Or either you become a zombie. You know, that's the one weird thing about zombies, though, man. You know, you, you've seen, I'm pretty sure you've seen it in every zombie movie, Walking Dead, even. Like, one character will get completely torn apart. Well, it's like, well, as long as the brain's not destroyed, whatever's not eaten, is that, like, physically still alive? If it's not attached to the brain, I would assume that it, it can no longer move. Because you can cut a zombie's arm off, and the arm isn't going to come after you. No, no. I don't know. I would go with that. You know, late these the later Romero films, like you're talking about ripping apart, like, man, dude, that's some of like I remember as a teenager, that was some of the best gore ever, Dawn of the Dead. You'd see people get ripped apart. You know, Night of the Living Dead, you don't really oh, see yeah. people ripped apart, being eaten alive. There's really none of that. No one's like literally eaten alive. Well, I mean, you even have that in, you know, Day of the Dead. Oh yeah, especially that captain at the end. Or the, oh yeah, yeah. Or whatever the the guy that's the in charge of the military at the end of the movie, the, the asshole in the film that you just want him to die. Oh man, he gets one of the greatest zombie oh, yeah. deaths ever. Yeah, they they just tear his ass up, dude. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I was talking about. Like being completely shredded to pieces. Yeah, that that really doesn't happen in this film. They're kind of inconsistent. Well, I get, they're not inconsistent in this movie. This movie is inconsistent with how zombies are portrayed going forward in every other zombie film since. There was a quote from George Romero. It was like, zombies can't run. They do a Night of the Living Dead. dead. I'm telling you, this is what this was a quote from him. I mean, no, that's a quote from him, and he can can say that. I've read that quote as well. But the zombies in Night of the Living Dead, they kind of move. They move fast at some point. Um, they pick up and yeah. use tools like rocks. They'll commit murder and not eat somebody. Yeah. They'll just randomly kill people and not eat them. And in all the other, in all of his other films, the zombies are there to eat the people, not to murder them. Yeah, definitely. I guess let's go ahead and bring up the other big thing about the film. What this film meant, not only in terms of zombie genre. But in terms of what it's saying about the civil rights movements going on in the '60s, that you know that was kind of something that was that people who saw the movie kind of a- interpreted it as. I mean, but, how could you interpret it any other way? I mean, your two main you, characters you that are at odds with each other: one's white, one's black. But I mean, even George Romero said himself that that was completely uh, coincidental. 
the role was actually written for a white guy, but they chose Dwayne Jones to play in the role. Because he was and, the better actor. The part was like for a truck driver, too? Yeah, I believe so. And, and like, I think, I'm pretty sure Dwayne Jones was the one that was like, no, look, I can't play a truck driver. This this guy was a he was college educated. He was a smart dude. Like I mean, and I really I enjoyed the role. Like I mean, the movie would not be the movie without him. Listening yeah. to the commentary, I think Romero was a little mad because he had to work like hell to get to get Dwayne Jones to hit anybody. Because apparently the guy didn't like violence that much at all. It was it was quite a, quite a bit of work because apparently Dwayne Johnson was was a really really a big pacifist. I'm not 100% sure, but man, I don't even know if Dwayne Johnson's still alive or not. Oh, no, man. He's been dead for uh, quite a long time, man. His his last interview is actually on that um, DVD I was talking about from Elite Entertainment, uh, and that was recorded, oh, like, in, in the late 80s. He's, yeah, he's he he died really young. Yeah, I think he was, like, he was only, like, 50. Damn. He's the best thing in this movie. Acting-wise? That is the badass. You know, and they just kind of lucked into the fact that by casting this black actor, and like even when you watch the movie, nobody ever even uh, brings up the fact that that Ben, the main character, is black. And this is in '68. Yeah, I know. Nobody says a word to him. There's no racial slings. There's no like hateful. Not even the not even not even the redneck dudes, man. You know, I kind of like that, though, because it also makes the situation outside even that much worse. You know, it's like they'll bicker amongst themselves, but they they don't have any time for any racial differences. You know, it's just like it's all subtext and you can read a lot of things into it. But the script never says that. Oh, no. If it were a white actor or it it would have been the same thing, you know, Uh, I don't know if it would have been the same thing. Well, no, I'm saying the script, script-wise. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. The script it would be the, the same script. I always thought the Cooper character was a fucking racist. I think he's just a spineless dick, man, you know, but I guess we'll get into that. I You love to hate him. All right, guys, so we're going to take a break, play the trailer for Night of the Living Dead, and when we get back, we're going to get in a spoiler-filled discussion. You've been warned. Welcome to a night... Of total terror. (laughs) Night of the living dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Night of the Living Dead. A bizarre adventure in fear. An experience in shock, more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. A night with the dead who cannot die. 
A night of total terror. All right, welcome back. We're talking about the living dead. Which one of the uh, Romero zombie films do you do you prefer the most, or, or which ones do you like, you know, most to least? You know, I I respect Night of the Living Dead a whole lot. It's the first one, and it's an amazing movie. I will say it's yeah. not my favorite. Dawn of the Dead's my favorite. Then Night of the Living Dead. Then Day of the Dead. Land of the Dead. Diary. Survival of the Dead's probably that's probably my least favorite of the bunch. Romero always kind of had either accidental or purposeful uh, some kind of social political message message that he was trying to get out. Dawn of the Dead says a lot about consumerism, uh, consumerism and malls and mindless shopping. Day of the Dead has a lot to say about the military and mindless thinking. And then you have Diary of the Dead, you know, well, you have uh, Land of the Dead with one percenters versus poor. Diary of the Dead has a nice social media. You know, are we zombies on the social media? I don't know what Survival of the Dead really was, but I didn't care. I've only seen that one once, to be honest. All of his movies are worth watching. I will say that. I mean, there's not a single one that I sit down and watch. I'm like, God, I just, I hated that. I always thought they they to be better movies than the counterparts, the Living Dead series. We didn't mention that, but John John Russo and George Romero, they kind of had a falling out over where to go with the sequels. And since they both wrote it and it's public domain, they were pretty cool guys. And Romero just decided to take his series of zombie movies one way. John Russo took his another way, and that ended up being Return of the Living Dead. That Dan O'Brien mm-hmm. I mean, how do you rank the movies? The same as you would, I guess, man. I uh... Dawn of the Dead is probably my favorite one. Then Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead. Even though, man, there are a lot of things about about Day of the Dead that I that I really, really do like. Land of the Dead, man, I just I don't know, just there's just something about the movie I really just didn't care about that much. Was it the fact that the zombies were learning stuff? Yeah, that was that was that was really really weird. I saw a lot of people complain about that, but you know, to be honest, I was kind of okay with it because that's where they were going kind of at the end of Day of the Dead with Bud. I don't mind that in Day of the Dead at all. And I, as a matter of fact, I think it kind of works for Day of the Dead. Is that because it's one zombie as opposed to all of the zombies? Yeah. And it's like, well, well then they're just stinky undead, they're stinky undead humans. Well, they're already human, so they're, I mean, they're not undead yeah, I mean, deer. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, well, <laughs> no, I well, know what you're saying. My whole thing is, well, what would be the whole point of said virus? Here's the thing: in Night, in Night of Living Dead, we're we're totally in spoiler territories. We came back from our break, so you know we're in spoiler territories now. In Night of Living Dead, they give the zombie outbreak a re- It's not an outbreak; it's a satellite from Venus. It's a NASA satellite that went to Venus. It's coming back. It had some weird radiation on it. They decided to blow it up. When they blew it up, it released this weird radiation all in our atmosphere. It's very heavily hinted at as the reason that the dead are coming back to life. That's the reason. Now, in all the sequels, that is completely dropped. Well, I guess you already kind of know. If if you've seen Night of the Living Dead, you already kind of know. 
<laughs> there's no point really bringing it up again, I guess. The audience in 1968 did get shocked by Night of the Living Dead. Like, I was watching this movie with my mom and dad. They both brought up that, like, you know, when this came out, when we saw this, and my dad was talking about seeing it when he was in college, he was like, this was shocking. You got to think, man, you know, it was 1968. The undead cannibals, <laughs> you know, ghouls. All right, so enough beating around the bush. Let's go into this film. Night of the Living Dead starts on a very beautiful car driving up. Our two main characters, Barbara and Johnny, brother and sister, placing some kind of cross-shaped wreath on their dead father's uh, plot. Grave, yeah. Yeah, on his grave. Yeah. When Johnny goes to the cemetery and he's having the conversations with Barbara, it almost seems like he like doesn't even know his father or doesn't even really, you know, because at that point in time, they really don't, they really don't say who they're there to visit. Well, no, they, you, you really, they, they say, but it seems like it's, it's been a really long time. Like he's passed away for a while. Cause yeah, Johnny says he doesn't remember him. Was it when they were kids? Yeah. I don't know. But but they're really not that old. They're, they look like they're in their thirties, you know. I mean, twenties, yeah, late twenties or early thirties, most. But I do like the fact that Romero and uh, Russo go out of their way to let you know that they have no significant others in the beginning. That these two characters, yeah. even though they're bickering back and forth, really that's all they have. And they talk about their mom, and she can't even make a three-hour trip. You know, a lot of their kind of conversations, especially with the uh, when Johnny's kind of like picking on her, it's almost it's almost like childish. Oh no, uh, yeah, he's totally re- reverting back to that those child ways. Yeah, I mean, he even brings it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it it does it does feel real too, and I love you get that famous line where he's like, "They're coming to get you, Barbara." Wait, I know I can still get something on Barbara. He he does his eyebrow, and he actually switches. And he does that that creepy, iconic voice. Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny! Well, you're still afraid. Stop it now, I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. Definitely. That, that's the most iconic line in, in the entire movie. You know, with the lightning and everything, there's always that weird shot of Johnny. The lightning flashes and it's close up of him. And the reason for that mm-hmm. is that it's just a flash of an HMI, but they didn't have enough. <laughs> They didn't have a big enough HMI to light up a wide shot, so they had to do a close-up. So that's why there's that, that jump cut in there. And it works. And you know what? I, I'm going to cite uh, several times as we go throughout this movie the editing. There are some jump cuts, for yeah. sure. I'm not going to argue that point. And they are a little bizarre, especially for you know modern audiences watching it. Again, this movie was mixed without somebody watching the picture. You know, there There are jump cuts, but the editing... Really, the editing really helps this movie flow. It gives it a sense of urgency, and it it gives it that drive. We get our first zombie attack, and like, what's what's the minute mark? Like five minutes, six minutes into the movie? Like, not even that. 
Yeah, I don't even know if it's that that much. What the, Barbara gets attacked by the zombie. You know, it's like I, I mean, okay, I knew the movie was made in 1968, dude. Or it was released in 68. But I mean, dude, how much does a little bit better fight choreography? How much would that cost? I, well, you know what it costs? It costs time, man. It costs time. I mean, if you're well, going to no, choreograph I mean, a fight... I, I, I knew that. Well, I'm just saying, they were kind of like rolling around, and I mean, I was just like, really? He, he falls and just hits his head on a tombstone. And... I, you know what? I'm okay with it because it's it's not it's not done like a big Hollywood fight. It's not anything. It's actually, at that moment, kind of goes into Barbara's kind of POV. We see Barbara... Then we see the fight. Then we see Barbara. When we see the fight, we see Barbara. We see the fight. You know, they keep repeating this editing mont, you know, motif later on in the film where it's like Barbara and the radio, you know, or she's saying something like, we got to go get Johnny or I'm glad we're leaving now. Or I think it's incredibly effective, effective. And I, I think it's effective in this fight scene, too, because it's not about the fight scene. It's about her seeing the fight. Yeah, if you're looking at it like, as in it's more terrifying for her because the only protection she really has is, is is her brother. When she was getting in the car, the zombie does use a rock to break the window. When we're talking about like these zombies are a little bit smarter than zombies in later films. And that would make sense on the reason why you have uh, the zombies in Day of the Dead, you know, being able to do simple tasks and stuff. He's 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 always reusing the idea of, you know, people are fighting other people and we're not we're not coming together to solve our problem. These are horror movies. These are horror movies that contain. I I think all the great horror and science fiction movies, they all have something else to say outside of just their plot. You can look at Night of the Living Dead and the zombies can be. You know, uh, the commies, you know, coming to get you. The government coming after you to come to get you. I mean, zombies really could represent so many things in society. Even though it's a black and white film, you can still tell, especially in some of those uh, shots where Barbara's running from the zombie, you can you can clearly see her shadow on the ground in some of those cuts, but it's like, thunder you know <laughs> thunder in the background you see lightning and stuff and it's like it's it's thundering and, and lightning in the afternoon and it's like there's no storm at nighttime when the zombies actually attack the reason they even included that lightning in the beginning in the first place is because it was actually raining while they were shooting and they were worried that you weren't gonna be able to see the rain so because you have to backlight rain you can't just shoot while it's raining. That will not work. You have to put a light behind the rain to make the, wa- the water droplets and the rain show up on film. It turns out no rain. There's real no thunderstorm outside of that one shot and the sound effects for it. But you know what? It sets up the mood, right? I don't know. I, I give the film a pass on that. I mean, it's a continuity error for sure. It's just something that I kind of noticed, I guess, because I've seen the movie so many times. I noticed that one thing, you know. Hey, you know what? But it took you how many times to watch the movie to notice that? You know, that's the thing. If somebody's watching your movie more than once, you're already doing something right, guys. That's the trick of filmmaking. You know, build the atmosphere, fuck continuity. 
Okay, so Barbara makes it to a farmhouse. Let's talk about this farmhouse and our second character showing up. One thing, one thing I always thought was cool, man, was when she goes up the stairs. And I think this is like probably one of the goriest parts of the movie. Skinless skull. Oh, the, the dead woman still in it. Yeah, oh, that is pretty gross. Yeah, the dead woman. But you know, up until that point, you know, she grabs a knife. You think Barbara's gonna kind of be your heroine in the movie? Yeah, I will say I do remember that being um, the the Barbara character being quite different in the Tom Savini remake. Yeah, yeah, they did. Did well, they did a lot different with her in the Tom Savini remake. They made her talk too much and made her too assertive and. You know, I, I really didn't like that. You know, who who the character was, I'm well, I guess it's fine. It's just not Night of the Living Dead. It's a different, It's I guess it's for a different movie, and it's a remake, and I didn't enjoy that interpretation. And when she, it's like yeah. when she goes up and she sees that, her, you know, that horrendous dead woman that you were talking about, kind of when her psyche kind of starts breaking down, where it's like, you know, no matter where I go, it doesn't matter. I'm going to see death. So one, one can understand why she's catatonic. And I will say, man, I do. I really love that uh, that shot, man, that Dwayne Jones's character, Ben, gets introduced. You know, she runs out there and the, the headlights are just like blaring on the house. Oh, yeah. Blinding. And, yeah. And then it cuts to Ben. And he's like standing in front of the head like this. This dude is like as fast as a ninja, man. He's like quick. <laughs> This is a great moment where the editing is badass. Like, it is building and building. Like, she sees this thing. Oh, my God, I'm going to run out. And then she sees car lights. She's running out. Dwayne Jones is so great, man. He's so phenomenal in this film. He just puts her in right away, takes charge of the situation, and immediately, as an audience member, I like this guy. He's like, there there to chew bubble gum and, you know, kick zombie ass. Just so happy to be out of bubble gum. You know, and 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 going back to that again, I know we brought this up uh, <laughs> on uh, Last Man on Earth, but there, there's a part where like Barbara's freaking out, and and Ben just, I mean, just slaps the shit out of her, man. Yeah, she does escalate that pretty quickly, and you know, it, it, yeah, even Ben quickly. tells her like, I think you need to calm down because she convinces herself, or she lies to herself. I I guess I should say that her brother is still alive out there. She's in denial about it. You know, she's in total denial about it. I will say, and, um, it's ballsy in 1968 to have a black man. He doesn't smack her. He straight up punches a white woman. That is a yeah. really ballsy yeah. move. You know, just to put that on film and not have, and to know that your audience will still be with Ben and still root for him, even though. We'll get into this later. He may, he may or may not be the hero of the movie. Very true. And I mean, at least, at least Ben, man, he's like trying to prepare the house, trying to board the house up, uh, trying to prevent the zombies from entering the house. They have a couple of shots where they're boarding the house with just regular boards, but they also yeah. actually use like whole doors that they have taken off the hinges. And I loved that. Yeah. It's like, where do you get wood in your house? Oh, well, you know, hey, take the closet door off <laughs> the hinges and put and barricade that and nail it against your door. Boom, there you go. This is low budget again. This is so low budget, and it's just something that these guys thought of, and 
I I really like that attention to detail, you know, and the lighting here inside the house. They there's a moment where they turn the lights on, but before they turn the lights on, I really like the lighting. You know, they they take a bunch of uh, mesh netting and uh, cardboard boxes or you know whatever, and they put those in front of the lights to make patterns. You know, so you can still see what's going on, but you still get the sense and feeling of it's yeah. dark. I really like that stylized look of night. You you could tell that there was there was actually a lot of work and thought put into into the lighting and stuff, especially in the scenes that were dark, like you were talking about. Yeah, they break the couch down, and for some reason, you know, zombies zombies are really scared scared shitless of fire. Yeah, okay, that's that's something that they do in this movie only, right? Yep. That's one another thing that's kind of it's a like bit, Frankenstein. Um, yeah, it is. It is really like I said. I never, I never really understood that. Like why, why they made him to be uh, afraid of fire. It makes sense in this film because I don't like everything's afraid of fire. You know, like even Frankenstein was afraid of fire. Well, so I mean, I guess, I guess what you're saying is like tapped into some kind of primal instinct with with the zombies. You know, to be honest with you, I don't know if I ever really thought of it like that. But yeah, I would agree. Yes, yes, I do agree with that. Now that you've said that, Paul, yes. And, you know, that could almost lead to the logic of them thinking, too, as well. You know, like, once again, going back to the rocks and shit. Like, the zombies in this movie are much more capable. Yeah, then we find out that there's uh, there's actually more people in the house the the first reveal we get of that like Ben's like walking through the house and he just he just kind of pulls the door and you kind of yeah. see that there's like a cutout and a latch there why in god's green earth is ben shutting that door there is no reason for him to do that he doesn't even shut it all the way he just he just shuts it a little bit yeah. enough for the camera <laughs> i hate that shot that's the one yeah. shot in this movie yeah. I find I found that uncharacteristically lazy of George Romero. He's probably working really late hours and he was probably really tired. Yeah, he just 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 shut the door kind of halfway. Well, why am I doing that? Yeah, because yeah, we need to see it, bitch. Because we because <laughs> we need to show the audience no, that there's a door there. I did I did notice that too. And that's another one of those weird things, like you know, you know, when we get when we get introduced other group of people that are in the house. The one guy Cooper, man, he's got you know, he's got a wife and their daughter's sick. Well, she's not sick, she and, got bitten by a zombie. Yeah, well she got bitten by a zombie. Well I mean she is sick. I mean, because she, she got, got bit the damn whatever. Yeah, because she got bit by exactly. <laughs> damn, I can't remember what the what's the dude's name? Him and his girlfriend. Bobby Sue or some shit like that. Oh, you're talking about Tom and Judy. Right. It's like right away, man, Cooper and Dwayne, like Cooper, Cooper is an asshole. I think this is where Night of the Living Dead works. Like, everybody's given an argument for what they believe in. Cooper, who has his family down in the basement, believes they should be down in the basement yep. because there's one entrance and that's what they have to guard. And Ben, who believes they should be upstairs, and he's barricaded the windows and doors, and he doesn't want to be squared in into a basement. Where if that one door fails, they are completely 100% fucked. I don't know what I would do. I don't know who I would side with. I don't know, man. To me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost saying, you know, agreeance with, uh, with Ben's character. Being upstairs would be the smarter way to go about it. 
once again, if a, if a horde come running through zombies, staying in that basement with one exit, especially with a bunch of zombies in the way, could be pretty much almost imminent death. They both present very valid arguments for either case. And then there's yeah. the Tom and Judy character, who are a couple. It does seem that Tom and Ben are on the same page. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Whereas Cooper yeah, is more worried about saving saving his own skin and saving his wife and kid. I mean, which I can understand saving your wife and kid. Exactly. Yeah, he's way more worried about his own self, I think, than he is anybody else. I don't know. I You know, I would disagree with that because later in the movie... When he gets a rifle and he, he has the position of power, he clearly tries to get his wife to go. Like, in fact, him trying to get his wife to go down to the basement is is what fucks him up. You know, like if he didn't try to get his yeah. wife in the basement, he could have just backed into the basement and locked the basement off. That's again, Cooper's a royal dick. They're, they bring the television downstairs and they start seeing news reports. I do like the news reports. Um, the one that takes place in the White House, they did not have permission to be in the, in Washington D.C. Um, if you, the guy that's interviewing everybody to the left, that's actually George Romero that's interviewing the generals. You know, it it all comes down to when they when they're listening to this TV, they start flashing up places to go to. They have shelter. They have protection. And they decide they're going to go to Willard because that's the closest place to them. And they start coming up with yeah, a plan. Basically, everybody but Cooper <laughs> agrees to, to try to go. The television says you can't hold up in one spot. You've got to get help. There's only one little small slight problem with that. They have no gas, so they have to get gas. You know, there's a lot of tension here between... Ben's character and Cooper's character. Cooper wants to be in the basement. Ben wants to be up top. And they have a lot of fights and a lot of arguments. But once the television station tells them that, like, you have got to get to one of these places, they do try to get out. Yeah. I mean, they put forth an effort. A horrible one at that. If they would have all worked together and... You know, didn't make an asinine plan about going and, you know, using torches when you're pumping a, you know, gas in a vehicle. Might have worked out a little bit different for all of them. The conflict between Cooper and Ben. And they start fighting over the gun. Ben gets the gun from him. Ben beats him down. He gets put into his place. Um, Cooper has a bloody nose. The third act, man. Shit kind of south really quick too the the daughter actually and you want to know something i, I do want to i do want to discuss this you know she she's basically stabbing her to death she's not like you know eating her when we think about zombies zombies eat us the mom goes down there you know uh ben's already shot cooper you know i mean even the wife when she goes down there she's eating an arm and has already eaten most of his arm. She moves to her. She just she just picks up this trowel, and she commits matricide right there. 
okay, outside of Land of the Dead, it really doesn't happen that much else in George Romero's universe. You know, kind of after after the mother dies, and you know, you kind of start to see the house get ran over. Then that's when you you start getting your glimpses of these 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 good old boy zombie hunting forces. Chief, uh, if I were surrounded by six or eight of these things, would I stand a chance with them? Well, there's no problem. If you had a gun, shoot them in the head. That's a sure way to kill them. If you don't get yourself a club or a torch, beat them or burn them, they go up pretty easy. Well, Chief McClellan, how long do you think it will take you until you get the situation under control? Well, that's pretty hard to say. We don't know how many of them there are. We know when we find them, we can kill them. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Ben's character is injured at this point in time and hope that there is some kind of, you know, silver lining to this this dark cloud. But he's he's down in the basement and this is where we get into the whole basement versus upstairs, Cooper versus uh, Ben, where at the end of the day and what makes it so ironic and fun is that Ben, the character that you're morally rooting for. At the end of the day, his strategy is wrong. You think so, man? You know, Ben's all like, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to seclude myself in that basement." And at the end of the day, what does he do? He secludes himself in the basement, and he he survives. And if he had listened to Cooper at the beginning of the movie, I don't know. Maybe he would only have had to killed Cooper's daughter. As the movie is, it's a lot more tragic. At the end of Night of the Living Dead, it's it's bleak for our characters that we follow, but it's not bleak for humanity. Oh, no, it's not. Because, I mean, even at the, at the end of Night of the Living Dead, it looks like the humans are the people that are still left alive. Like, they're starting to get the upper hand on the, on the zombies. Yeah, they're starting to figure out this situation. Unfortunately, you think Ben's character is going to survive, but he he doesn't. He actually gets shot by the uh, the redneck hit squads. And you know, by simply casting Dwayne Jones in that role, you know this end means a lot more than it normally would. Also, you know, to that point, man, I think it it came way before its time. You know why it took us this long to re- to do a podcast on the Living Dead. It's scary to talk about Night of the Living Dead. That's why. I mean, everybody has their own opinions and their own thoughts. And here we are telling you our opinions and our thoughts. Because it's such a, it's such a big movie. Night of the Living Dead created the zombie. And the modern zombie, that's much for sure. Like zombies and eating people, that did not exist before Romero. I will say that at the end, it is cool that, that Barbara actually gets sucked away into the horde by her brother, Johnny. And they bring those, yeah. the, they bring the driving gloves back. Uh, and I think I thought that was pretty, pretty cool, too. Why don't you give us final thoughts on Night of the Living Dead? It brought us zombies. Yes, it, it brought did. zombies to the big, big screen for the world. Not only that, but it also made characters that you could really like and really dislike. Everything when it comes to developing this movie and the writing and the development of the characters really sucks you in and it makes you feel like, you know, that you're part of it when you're watching it. You actually feel for these characters. You understand where they come from. 
it it you know has really good accidental social and political messages and you know it is just a phenomenal film the movie has great direction great storyline it, it's tragic and it, it's um, it almost has this like shakespearean tragedy to it here's the thing it's a, it's a masterpiece um i i don't know what to say about it it's night of the living dead it is a movie that has created a complete subgenre. George A. Romero is the zombie guy. He took the idea of the mindless zombie killers and implemented that with cannibalism. It just took off. You know, I love 28 Days Later. I think 28 Days Later is a great example of reinventing the, the zombie genre. George Romero has done and explored those ideas a million times over. I will be honest, Tom and Judy, the acting, it, it, it's pretty bad. Dwayne Jones does a great job. Spectacular has been. I buy him. I believe him. I buy Barbara. George Romero, thank you for giving us all the zombie things that we have today. And I'm with you again, man. Thank you, George Romero. Thank you for uh, all of your great zombie films. Thank you for the work you did on movies like Creepshow and Night Riders, yeah, which is on. Indie. You go to Scream Factory TV right now. You can watch Night Riders for free, and you can listen to the commentary. Yeah. I would like to give a shout out and a happy Halloween to all of our listeners. Hope you guys have a safe and happy one. Happy I... Halloween. <laughs> All right, guys, so that's going to do it for us tonight. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E. That's right, extra at the end, at gmail.com. If you guys could please leave us a rating at iTunes and Stitcher, that would be awesome. Five stars would be super awesome. Uh, we would surely appreciate that. You guys can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at moviecrewpod. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Paul R. Williams J1. And like always, we close out the show with a little bit of music. Uh, we didn't go into this really that much in the podcast, well, at all in the podcast, actually. But the music for Night of the Living Dead, nobody actually wrote the music. It was all pulled from stock cues from the Capitol Production Music Library. Uh, it was already, you know, various cues that had been recorded for other stuff. Uh, at the beginning of the show, we played the main titles, which was done by Spencer Moore. Uh, this one's done by William Luce, and we're going to play the second track, if you can call it a track, the second track off an LP that they, they released back in 1982. Uh, and it's titled At the Gravesite slash Flight slash Refuge. Enjoy.
They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Thank you.